We're going to uh, continue in our series, Woman in the Bible. Uh, we only have a few weeks left. And, you know, and I, I am very grateful for the feedback that we've been receiving about this. And just for Larry and I to grow in this, to, to see um, <clears throat> how we're presenting, what we're sharing, and how we're uh, preaching. And, you know, I think one of the things that I want to highlight is that, you know, we understand that we're not, you know, we're not a woman. And, you know, there's many times that there's things that we're missing, and that's part of why we've engaged in this. We engaged in this series, not because we would present a complete justice at all, but really as, as a way as we developed in our church of, uh, from our seminar, Women in Church Leadership, to this, uh, to moving forward, to, you know, having discussions and understanding uh, where, <clears throat> what the Bible says about women in the Bible, right? Not just what we say, but what is the scripture? What do we see? What are the things that we have to wrestle with? And hopefully as we move forward, you know, we're going to go on to part two in that seminar in the near future. But I do want to highlight that. I want to highlight and, and, and mention that, you know, we know we're not doing it justice completely. We are really trying. We are trying in many ways. And I, even in today's message, you'll see that part of it is going to be looked into from a <clears throat> Uh, academia from a woman scholar rather than just you know looking at how we've how I've um, in the past just kind of continually prepared for messages right and I think it's going to be very interesting as we look at that uh, today I don't know if it's okay all right so today's message we're going to look at is John 4 and and we're going to look into this in ways that I, I think really highlights this um, of a different perspective hopefully one that you may or may not have heard, have, um, have interpreted in this, in this passage. Uh, but I think there's a lot of um, credence in, in this and a lot of ways that to me it makes mo a lot more sense. Okay, so we're gonna look at this John 4, a woman who shared her faith, right? And in this way, we're gonna look at three topics, her complicated background, her desire to share her encounter with Jesus, and lastly, her insightful mind. Okay, the highlighting these three things. So we're going to look at John 4, and this is verses 3 onwards, okay? Jesus, then, so he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came, down, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciple had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not, do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the, well, the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will, we, you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Right? Now just a quick background about her complicated background. Right? Uh, most of the times when I've read this in the past, it's always been presented that this woman, the Samaritan woman, was immoral, right? perhaps in sinful living. Right, that she, that Jesus pointed out to her that she had five husbands, and the one that she's with right now is not her husband. Right, likewise, you know, when they pointed out the fact that she, she came to draw water at noon when it's the hottest in the day to avoid perhaps meeting with other people, interacting with other people, and these are the kind of the clues to point towards kind of her immorality, her... <clears throat> her sinful behavior. However, as we kind of looked at throughout this series, we looked at different people in the Old Testament. When we see a culture of that time, of Jesus's time, I want to present uh, from this another pastor, Kara, right, that she presented a, a, a whole new different paradigm, right, that I thought it was very interesting that I want to highlight. That we kind of mentioned in our series before that women were marginalized. They were treated like property back then, all right? And if anything, uh, they were not able to support themselves. We saw in the book when we went through Ruth that she had to go behind and glean from the fields the leftovers. And if anything, Boaz was helping her, right? And that you could see in, in, their in that whole story how hard it was for a woman to survive on their own, right? And you can see that <clears throat> throughout the Old Testament times, right, in the culture, they were marginalized, they were treated as property, they were unable to perhaps support themselves. They were looked down for being barren without having child if, if they couldn't. And like <clears throat> at the end, they were probably not given the right to divorce, right? If anything, most likely the, the husband would divorce the wife, right? And in this case, in the, at the end, we don't know. We don't know what exactly is so clear to make this is exactly the reason why she had five husbands and the one that she is with is no more. But potentially this could give a backdrop, a backdrop to understanding maybe it wasn't just a life that she's chosen to live. Maybe she's not just an adulteress that was trying to woo other women, other husbands and woo, woo other men. And in, in any case, men knowing that they, this woman has been divorced many times may not actually even go before and marry her again and again. Right? There's some reason which we don't know that she's casted aside, that she's marginalized. 
And perhaps part of the survival of that time was to be with a person, with a husband, with a male that will provide in ways that she couldn't. You know, when I think about stories like, like you know, when, the, <clears throat> when you watch a movie like Aladdin or you see people like a young kid stealing just to be able to eat, once you understand the context, you might not be as perhaps judgmental of why did that kid steal? Why did they do all these things? But rather you see and understand that perhaps in this perspective that she was marginalized and with a person that is not her husband. Now, I'm not saying I know what it is, but I want to highlight two more clues to me that gives it, you know, more weight. The first thing is this. The first thing is that Jesus does not tell her to go and sin no more. Does not tell her to, hey, leave this life, leave this man, and follow me. Right, in John 8, there's a story about an adulterous woman caught in adultery. She's brought in front of people, they're going to stone her. And in this passage, verse 7 onwards, Jesus speaks up. He says, let any of you, these people that were angry, the mob that was gathering, says, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think many times when you see encounters with Jesus, especially when they have something in their hearts, that Jesus makes it clear to them, right? Go and sell everything. Here he says, go and leave your life of sin. Another place in John 5 about the man that Jesus healed, right? The invalid. He meets him again in, in, the, in the temple, in verse 11 to 15, right? They're asking this person, this man that was healed, so they, the, the Pharisees, the people in charge, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away in the, into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found them at the temple and said to him this, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I think it's very interesting when I think about how Jesus encounters and as we meet, that there are times, especially when we live in our lives, that perhaps he's pointing out some sin. Perhaps he's showing us this is what to follow him. There's some idols in our lives, some things. But what's, and what we see here in at least these two stories is that he confronts people specifically too. And he says, stop sinning. But what we see in the story is that he doesn't necessarily confront this woman. The Samaritan woman. He doesn't say, go leave your, the man that you're with, but rather he just talks to her and have, has one of the longer conversations recorded between a woman and Jesus in the New Testament. I think that's one clue. None of this is proof, but one clue that perhaps Jesus wasn't condemning or judging her or that she was living in a life that's sinful, that's most of the time, what, at least what I've read in my study Bibles, in the, in the commentaries, but rather that she was actually living in survival to continue. In the Eastern Orthodox, you know, and when you look at church history, there's actually, uh, this woman is named, right, Fotini. And it, it says that how she lived her life. Now, I, I don't know, we always want to put so much weight 
into church history. But at the same time, she was, you know, a, a follower of Christ that was named, that was given kind of equal level of standing like the apostles. Right? There's much to be said about some comments of church history along with what we at least don't see very clearly, that Jesus does not condemn her nor tell her to leave a life of sin. Now, it might be true. It might be true that we don't know. But I want to say the next thing that I thought was very interesting, right? The second clue to me that at least points towards maybe understanding her position is this. She leaves her, it says, and it continues on in verse 27. It says, just then his disciples, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him to Jesus talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the Samaritan woman, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to people, come and come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the second point that I want, her desire to share her encounter with Jesus. I think it actually gives a clue to her complicated background, right? <clears throat> this past semester, the past couple months, I've been helping with Stepping Stone and, and meeting with students, being on campus. And what's interesting to me is that, you know what, we do these things called flyering, right? We, we stand in the quad, tons of people walk past us. You know, sometimes we have to give out on the right. The left is not a picture of us, it's just a random picture. I was looking for a flyer, okay? Well, the right is, okay, we, we give out popsicles, right? And we have to in, entice people to come and talk to us, right? Even though we're like, I want to share with people. Most of the time, if you think about this, if there's someone that's try, trying to share with you, if you don't know them, you probably want to walk away, right? Or if you don't think, if, especially if they're in the, in the culture of that time, perhaps known to be adulterous, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, let me talk to you, Right? But at the same time, the, the fact that she's able to talk to people, she's able to share her encounter with Jesus, I think that speaks indirectly to at least potentially her standing in the, in the community. That she wasn't just an outcast on the side, an outcast, and at the same time, that it was important enough, it was important enough that she left her water jar to go and talk to the town people. Now, you got to take a step back and imagine. Imagine something that happened in your life that was really good. Would you, A, tell your enemy? Would you be like, hey, you know what? This person that wronged me so many times, let me tell you about what great things happened. Would you, perhaps most of us might just avoid them and be like, let me tell my friend. Let me tell someone that I care about, about this that great news that I just had. Right, but we see in this picture, in this story, that this woman leaving her water jar, thinking about what's important, perhaps what's important, goes back to town. Imagine if she was living, and she probably was. There's probably shame in there. There's probably cultures of that. But yet she's going back into the town and sharing with people. That desire to share, to me, gives me the second clue, as least, at least thinking she probably wasn't just completely an outcast. People at least would talk to her at least would hear her story, understand what she's gone through, and be willing to take a second, to take a few minutes, to take a couple hours, to stop what they're doing and follow her to see Jesus. 
right? I think this is something that, <clears throat> that even as I've been thinking about more and more is how often as we, even as I, as we share with hot chocolate, as we give snow cones, how often would people slow down in their busy lives to actually speak, speak to us, give us, you know, a few minutes to share. And it's not sharing just so that we are feeling better, but rather it's the, it's one of the gifts that God has given us, this new life that we want to share with others. Right? What would draw people to say, I'm going to take a few hours out of my time and head out and see what you're talking about? To me, I feel like there's some sort of relationship there, that they would be willing to do that and go out and see this man, Jesus. It says, as it continues on, there's a whole passage that I'm not going to go into about the disciple speaking with Jesus because I want to focus the message on the, this woman. It says in John 4, verse 39 and 42, many of the Samaritans that, from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is a savior of the world. Right? That she has some influence in their lives. They believed in some things that she shared of what she did, what she went through. That they came, they met with Jesus, and then they believed. Right? That it was because of her testimony. Now you really have to, when I think about the second clue, I know it's very indirect. But how many people would you believe, if especially believe, if you don't trust them at all? Right? How many people would you take their word and say, oh, man, that's, you're right. Let me think about this. Even if they're saying the right things, you might just be like, oh, I don't, I don't really like you, so I'm not going to listen. How often is that? And for someone here, you see the Samaritan, the townspeople at least listened for her desire, for her to share their, her testimony in ways that they came, spent time with Jesus, and they believed. I want to contrast this. Contrast this with women <clears throat> that shared with the apostles, right? In Luke 24 is the story when, Je when Jesus is in, risen from the dead. The women were the first to see Jesus, right? Encounter him. They run back and they tell the <clears throat> 11. They, they tell the other apostles, Right? It says in verse 9, when they, the woman, came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the others. It was Mary, Magdalene, jo Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But, this, but they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw that the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went, went away wondering to himself what had happened. Just contrast this. There's people that even know these three women, mother of James, Mary Magdalene. These people are walking with them, perhaps have lived, you know, we know that they have many relationships, like contact, gone through ministry, seen Jesus. These women were telling the apostles, hey, his body is not there. But the apostles are like, wait, it seems like it's nonsense. Just contrast this a little bit and just also understand perhaps the position that women were in at that time. 
And for this woman, Samaritan woman, her desire to share, to speak truth to others, to share her testimony, and this is just a short encounter. I don't know, perhaps there's much more that Jesus and her spoke about that were not recorded to us. When she says, everything he's, you know, he shared with me everything I've ever done. But yet, there was a connection, there was a draw, people believed. The testimony of her, at least I would share, I would <clears throat> support that she had some influence in the town and people's lives. This is a tangent, but I highly want to just, I just want to point that out. It says that they urged him, that the townspeople urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. I think in our busy life, oops, it is hard. It is hard sometimes to take time to slow down, to even want to spend time with Jesus, or to urge him in many ways to be like, God, speak. God, let me sp spend time with you. But one thing I love about this passage is how their desire, not just from this woman, but this whole town, a desire when they encountered the Messiah to say, hey, stay, teach, let me linger with you. It would be a miss for me to just kind of pass through that because I want to challenge you so often in our busy life, we're just wanting to spend five minutes, ten minutes, one passage with God in a whole day. And I, I get it, our, our, our lives are busy, there's so many, so many things going on, but there are times, and I want to challenge, encourage, that there might be times that we have, that we, perhaps we do take that time where you see these Samaritans leave what they're doing and meet with Jesus. It probably wasn't their daily routine, it probably wasn't what they always did, but at that moment, at that right time, that they stopped what they're doing, and they went to explore. And in their exploration, in their time, they, they met with Jesus, they urged him to stay. It's a challenge and also encouragement for us. What does that look like for you, for me? To linger, to spend that time, to, to make that time. It says that at the end, they said, we no longer believe just because of what you said now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. There's only so much that, can, that we can, in our own faith, could go on by living on the faith of others and their testimony of what God has done. There's only so much of how we can move forward and live with God and walk with God through the ups and the downs without encountering him ourselves. I love that this passage, this story, speaks of that, speaks of how they encountered God themselves. That they understood that this man, Jesus, really is the savior of the world. And because of his words, many more became believers. Because of spending that time, because of hearing directly from God, from Jesus, that their lives were changed and they became believers. All this started with the testimony, her desire to share, her desire even to leave her water jar, things that she, that's your possession, to go back and share with the people around. A woman that shared her faith, had, she had a complicated background. She had a desire to share her encounter, 
But lastly, I want to point out this, her insightful mind. Right? I want to give you three things, really, just minor points to stand out of just where perhaps you could get a sense of who she is. The first is, if you notice, when she interacts with Jesus, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? The first thing is that her, she understood or took note of her heritage, her forefathers, that she then claimed as a Samaritan, who in that time was a half, you know, a mixed race, the person, people that were sent away came back. For them, for her, she said, her, our, our father's Jacob. And this is just a reference, the ways that you see in the Old Testament, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. She took of her heritage and saw that as a follower of God, all right? Even though she was not Jewish, right? Even though she recognized that Jewish people did not associate with her. That was not the way that took her away from her personal walk. The second, along with that, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus responded, yet a time is coming and now, has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Right? Her understanding of worship, her, her kind of like position in worship at least, that she knew that this mountain, this place was her, where her ancestors worshiped. I don't know what that means like completely into her life, but I love how Jesus responds to her. I love the way that Jesus sometimes makes it more clear for us, right? That he says a time is coming. True worshipers are the kinds that the Father seeks. When we come here on Sundays and, you know, like I said, I know that time is crazy and we're just kind of moving back and forth. But even these songs that we sing, I want to encourage us that they're not just words that we kind of speak out on a service, but what does it look like when Jesus speaks to her and when Jesus speaks to us to worship in spirit and in truth? That it was not about the location that he corrects her, but that he corrects her in ways that I think and I believe that she could understand. That he's not just saying something in somewhere far, far away that she would never understand. I think she would understand this, that she brought up the reference, this is the mountain that our ancestors worship, but rather Jesus clarifies because she is asking questions. She is coming before God and Jesus meets her where she is and also speaks truth to her. I think his, tr his truth to her is the truth to us that what does our worship look like even today? Is it in spirit and in truth or perhaps just coming in and leaving? I don't know. And I will never know. But I think each one of us, as we come before God, as we come in our silence of our homes, whatever time we spend with God, that we ourselves should ask, is it in spirit and in truth? What would that look like? Lastly is this, that she recognized and she responds to it. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Her mind and her posture, I would say, 
is one, I'll, I'll come back to, a watchfulness for the Messiah. Watchfulness. I think this is huge. We see in parables throughout that Jesus speaks of, are you ready? And when he speaks, the time is coming or the time is near. But oftentimes in our lives, when we see this, do we think, wait, he might come in our lifetime or he might come later on? You know, I'll get this done first and then he'll come. But rather, I think people lived in certain ways. The way that Jesus actually, in the New Testament, people spoke of his return, felt like he would come at any time. And I wonder, in our watchfulness of the Messiah, in our ways of identifying or seeing Jesus in the midst of, in our own lives, what that would look like. But you could see that she was clear. She responded to him saying, I know that there's a Messiah coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus meets her and says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Right? There's something about this when she says, when he speaks truth, when he speaks to her life, you have five husbands and the, the one you are with is not your husband, that she says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our identification of whether this man is a prophet and later on as a Messiah and the implication of that into her own life where she would leave the water jar and go back to town and speak to those in town, her community, her neighbors, people that she knew. I think the last point I want to challenge in this kind of idea of watchfulness in this insightful man mind is this, is what does that look like? When we know that God is true, then what? Oftentimes we're like, okay, if this is true, then we'll do something, right? Many a times we plan in our lives, whether you're a student, if I take all these classes, I'll graduate and have this degree. Or if I take these volunteer work, whatever it might be, I will get this job or get into grad school. Or for, for those who are after college, if I save up this much money, if I do this, then I will do that. And that changes even how we live right now, right? It changes our understanding of our actions, even though we could choose differently. But because we know of what that would look like, we live differently now. I think that is the same way of what this challenge of this woman when she encountered Jesus. When she realized that he is the prophet a prophet, and more than that, the Messiah, that her life was transformed and changed. That she could not live just a, <clears throat> how she usually does things. She leaves her water jar in ways of living at that moment, at that calling, to the people that her life is different. I think for us, if God is your Savior, your Lord, what does that look like? then what? It doesn't necessarily mean do more at church, not at all. I don't mind if you don't do anything. But the question is, I would want to challenge, at least ask God that. God, what do you have prepared for me to join in part of what you're doing? Because you don't want to miss out on that. Her mind, her watchfulness, her life, transformed 
the whole town. And you see, <clears throat> hopefully today in today's message, of how this woman, as she shared her faith, no matter how complicated her background was, and I think this is something that encourages us even today, no matter how complicated, how messy our background, where we, <clears throat> what we have done, what we are doing right now, when we encountered, encounter Jesus, what does that look like now? What will, what will that look like later? Her messy background, but yet her desire to share her encounter with Jesus with those around. And lastly, a posture in her mind, but to receive that truth and then to also share that with those around. I say this because as I picked this story, you know, as we, I added this message into, um, <clears throat> into this series, I wanted to, in the beginning, to add it because of the idea to me of how Jesus meets this woman in ways that she was not, read, not expecting, in ways that she believed that, wait, why would a Jew associate with me? I share that because I wonder how often in our lives Perhaps we have <clears throat> these misconceptions or these barriers of who we share our faith with. Who is ready, who wants to hear, who is willing? Who can we get comfortable? Who do we know? How do we share it? But I see the story that is not so much of how much you know, but rather when you encounter Jesus, when you have that encounter, it's natural to share. It's natural just to talk about who God is in your life. If anything, what, we, <clears throat> what I want to challenge us is what would it look like as we spend time with God to share about who he is to those around us? Not so much of what we know and all these theological, no. Those things are important. But what we see here is that encounter with Jesus, your personal encounter, that God can use that to multiply and transform many lives all around you. And I think about that in light of our affordable Christmas market, right? This is a plug for, and I, I know it, but if we want to be the church that is not just the people that gather here on a Sunday and leave, but rather a church of community, a church that gets to know the community, gets to know people around, that spends the time slowing down to get to know people, these are ways that I wanna challenge, I wanna encourage, that we are taking steps to plant roots here, right? To be here to know people, not to just come in and out and be a, oh, there's a church in Catonsville. There's many churches all around, but rather to be known and to be a presence here, to be a blessing to this neighborhood. And that's whether you're a stepping stone or whether you're, you're a grace life, both. Whether we invest into the campus, campuses, or what, what we do here. It is an opportunity to join in on what God is doing. And I wanna encourage and challenge us, not just for another thing to add on our list, but rather an opportunity to see God move powerfully in our own lives. Let's pray. Lord, I just, um, Lord, I just want us to slow down, Lord.
Help us to slow down. Enable us to. That even as we worship you in these last two songs, more than just words that we speak from a screen, but Lord, may it be a posture of our heart and our prayer before you, Lord. May you meet us where we are, the way that you met this woman. May you transform our lives where people around us will notice, not of our own doing, but your miraculous work. That they will realize that we treasure and love you because you loved us first. That they'll realize that you have given us new life and not just self-care. Lord, I pray, Lord. I pray for our encounters with you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for this community, for this neighborhood in Kingsville, our neighbors, our coworkers. Give us opportunities to share of your faith, Lord, of your encounters with you, Lord that people would be drawn to you. People would have their lives transformed by you. And Lord, it is not our doing, but it is you, Lord. And so Lord, as we pray for more people to come to know you in ways of who you are and how amazing, good, wonderful God you are, that in that process, that you will reveal yourself to us, that we will share of our own encounters. So Lord, transform, mold us. Lord, if there's any area in our lives that hold us back, Lord, may in this time of prayer, may we just lift it up before you, that we know that you hear all of our prayers and you know. And Lord, sometimes by voicing it out, that is releasing ourselves from the bondage of sin that holds us back. So we lift up this time of worship. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen.